Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Market Bites. I'm Sam. And I'm Josh. And we're here to break down three of the hottest financial events that happened this week, so you can keep your finger on the pulse. Whether you're on your way to work, at the gym, or wherever and whenever you have the time to get updated. So, are you ready? Let's get into it. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results. Hello and welcome to the latest eToro quarterly house view. After a simply fascinating three months in financial markets, there can't be a better time than now to discuss it all. And there also cannot be a better free people to digest it all for our investors. Uh, here you can just sit quickly see the disclaimer, which I'll leave up there for a moment. I am Sam North, a market analyst at eToro and co-host of the Digest and Invest podcast series. And I'm joined by Ben Laidler, eToro's global market strategist, Callie Cox, eToro's US investment analyst, and Josh Gilbert, eToro's market analyst from Australia. Now, before we get into what happened in quarter one, the outlook for quarter two, and much more, it would be great for you all to introduce yourselves quickly for our audience who may not be familiar with eToro or yourselves. Ben, first up. Uh, hi, Ben Laidler. I'm the global market strategist uh, based here in London. Uh, I work with the 15 eToro analysts uh, scattered uh, around the world. Uh, I've been doing this uh, 25 odd years, uh, as uh, you might be able to tell from my sort of lack of hair. And um, that's it. Amazing. Uh, and Callie, up next. Yeah. So hi, everybody. I'm Callie Cox. I'm the U.S. investment analyst here at eToro. I am based in Charlotte, North Carolina, on the east coast of the U.S., and I'm more macro focused. Uh, I've been doing this about 10 years uh, with stints at Bloomberg and Ally Financial. And Josh. And me to wrap it up. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm uh, I'm Josh Gilbert. Um, I'm our market analyst based in Australia, uh, Sydney, to be exact. Um, I also co-host the uh, eToro podcast with Sam. Um, I also look after a couple of our other episodes, such as Stockbreak as well. Um, I'm a little bit less experienced than the other two here, so I'm in good company, but I've been doing this uh, for about seven years with a bit of a focus on equities and crypto. Amazing. Well, we've got everything covered here, not just the time zone. I think we've got late in the evening in Australia, we've got midday here in London and very early in the States. Now, Ben, for us to, to really kick off this, this session and to go in to talk about quarter two in more detail, we really need a summary of quarter one. I mentioned it was a, a fascinating first three months of the year. Uh, you, we've got it here on one slide and, and your job is to explain to our audience what exactly happened? Yeah, amazing quarter, right? I guess it we did a lot better than we thought coming into the year. Uh, it really was the revenge of the 2022 losers. Uh, Bitcoin was up 70%. Big tech was up 20%. You know, bonds recovered. Uh, whilst the winners of last year, you know, the US dollar, commodities, uh, were really the laggards uh, last quarter. Um, you know, why did all this happen? 
we basically saw a Goldilocks scenario of less growth fears as the US consumer kept spending, uh, natural gas prices in Europe fell 80%, China reopened after three years of lockdown, and this sort of much expected fall in corporate profits you know, didn't happen. S&P 500 earnings growth expectations are the same today as they were you know, coming into the year. Uh, and this came along all alongside uh, low inflation. Uh, it's now down for eight straight months in the US, maybe not falling as quickly as we hoped. Uh, jobs markets are still pretty tight, um, but you know, down enough to give us some visibility on the top of this you know, Fed interest rate cycle. Um, and of course, this is after the, you know, the, the most dramatic increase in interest rates uh, that um, you know, any of us have ever seen. Uh, and this was all, you know, this is all the necessary first step to ultimately a pause of that hiking cycle and those, you know, interest rate cuts, which, um, you know, are, are ultimately to come. You know, this held bond yields down, uh, this helped valuations, uh, and this combination of sort of resilient earnings, high valuations is what gave us this, um, you know, th this positive quarter. Uh, and this came despite this sort of black swan out of left field scare we saw in March. You know, four banks failed, uh, and that wasn't enough to derail markets. Uh, you know, central banks responded very aggressively uh, to ring fence the problem. Um, you know, I do think we'll be living with the consequences, though, and I'll talk a little bit about that um, when I want to talk about the outlook. But if you could maybe just flip to the next slide, uh, I just wanted to maybe put some numbers on on all of this. You can see the first quarter performance numbers there on the left hand side. This so-called reversal rally of the losers of last year, mm. you know, crypto, tech, Europe, all, you know, heavily in green at the top there. And the winners of last year, commodities, um, banks, uh, the US dollar, are all at the uh, all at the foot of that table. And just as we be sort of begin to sort of think about second quarter, you can see that on the right hand side, uh, the calendar of, you know, the events that are, that are coming up. Um, earnings season starts soon. We've got the usual parade of central bank meetings, uh, the Fed, the ECB, the Bank of England, uh, but I think they're unusually important right now. Um, we also have typically tougher seasonality. Uh, you know, this quarter, April's usually very strong, but May onwards, you know, usually weaker. That's the sort of sell in May, go away uh, phraseology. Uh, and we've still got the US debt ceiling to get through. The US probably doesn't run out of money uh, until July, but, you know, we're going to be talking a lot about that probably. Uh, during uh, the quarter. Uh, so maybe to the next slide, we can actually get into what we're expecting for the second quarter. You know, in sum, I think everything's going to be faster. I think we're going to see a faster growth slowdown. I think we're going to see a faster inflation fall. I think we're going to see interest rate cuts coming sooner uh, than expected. Uh, this is really, I think, the takeaway from, you know, the bank's scare uh, we don't have a bank systemic problem, but I think there are consequences. I think banks will now lend less. Um, I think regulators will be all over the banks uh, because of the scare we've just had. I think the way to think about this is it's just going to do a lot of the Fed's job for it. So rather than having more Fed hikes, we're just going to have less bank lending. Um, and obviously, I think the two are going to combine, right? We've had this huge 5% hike in US interest rates. Uh, now we have banks lending less. That will combine, I think, to, to slow this economy, uh, economies, uh, and to slow uh, to slow inflation. Um, 
Crucially, though, I think this is going to be a net positive. I think these resilient earnings will come under more pressure in, in the second quarter as GDP growth slows down. But I think valuations will see continued support from these lower bond yields and these expectations of uh, interest rate uh, cuts to come. Um, the relative losers will be those most exposed to this accelerated GDP growth uh, and earnings slowdown. So think commodities, think small caps, think banks. Uh, but I think it's a positive recipe for so-called long duration assets, those most benefited by lower economic growth, lower inflation, or at least defensive to it. So these traditional defensives, you know, like healthcare or new defensives like big tech, uh, bonds, even crypto. Uh, and then finally, just to wrap up, um, you know, my bit on the next slide, you can see what investors are thinking. So forget about, you know, what I'm pontificating here. This is what investors are thinking. We polled 5,000 uh, investors, you know, online last week. You can just compare the results now, which are in pink, versus the December results to exactly the same questions, uh, which are in green. And starting on the top left, you can see this big diversification move. Investors are you know, less positive on stocks, less positive on crypto, but more positive on you know, other assets, you know, everything from commodities to bonds to alternatives. Uh, if you look on the top right, you know, what are the most favored markets and regions in the world? Uh, the US uh, by a mile, but also China, you know, really gaining in popularity as it reopens. Europe also doing pretty well, uh, probably in the back of you know, being the top performing region uh, in, the, in the first quarter. Uh, bottom left, you can see the sectors. What are the most favored sectors by investors? Tech still uh, the most in favor by far, but interestingly, losing some ground to uh, energy, which is a bit of a contrarian call. I and mean, it's been lagging so far this year. Investors clearly expecting uh, some catch up there. And finally, on the bottom right, you can see uh, the themes, disruptive tech really back uh, in the in the driving seat um, among in the view of investors, uh, followed by crypto. And these two have really unseated uh, renewables and, and clean tech, which was the uh, the prior leader when we asked the same question back in uh, December. Uh, that's it for me, Sam. I'll pass it back to you. Amazing. Thank you, Ben. And what a difference three months makes for markets 2021 and 2022 were relatively tough for the investor. But the first three months of this year, I think we'll have people smiling a little bit more. One thing that is absolutely going to move global markets is, of course, what happens in the US. Callie, this brings us to you. How are you seeing it at the moment? What are the main things that you're focusing on? Well, the U.S. was kind of the chaos agent of Q1, right? We were the underperformer. We were the one with the most prominent bank issues here. And we're heading into a Q2 with a lot of black swans on our plate, let's be honest. And the title is a bit misleading. Uh, the first thing that pops out to you here is stocks to potentially rise. I mean, honestly, we have no idea what will happen with any stock market. Uh, nobody has a crystal ball. But the reason why I put it there is because I think that we're underestimating the contrarian view at the moment. Uh, so, you know, right now, a lot of bad news is factored in. We had a lot of uh, anxious headlines cross the tape in Q1. Obviously, as Ben mentioned, banking woes could accelerate the case for a recession, make everything faster. Uh, in the midst of that, the Fed is still eyeing inflation as, as its main priority. And every day at higher rates gets us one step closer to that recession or that policy mistake. 
the debt ceiling issues uh, could come to a head in Q2. Uh, they haven't been resolved yet, uh, even though they've flown under the radar a little bit. Uh, and that's another event that could cause investors to feel a little more defensive. And we're still not sure what else could break after one of the fastest rate hike cycles in history. I'm not here to make you feel bad, but I want you to understand how much bad news really is already factored into these markets. And investors, too, have turned from cyclical and offensive, like we saw at the beginning of the year, to a more defensive stature. And I think that helps us in the long run. So, Sam, if you flip to the next slide, I want to show you something interesting. Okay, so this is a chart of the NASDAQ 100 stocks average performances, and I sorted them out by size tier. So you can see how bigger stocks have performed relative to smaller stocks in the tech sector. And I picked the tech sector out because it's an, it's an interesting one to us. Uh, it has a bunch of different flavors. It has your big tech stocks, which uh, have higher cash hoards, uh, stronger profit margins, are some of the bigger stocks in the US stock market versus the more smaller speculative stocks, the stocks that did well in 2021 and toward the beginning of this year. As you can see in March, uh, the pink bars you can see on the screen, it wasn't, tech did rally, but it wasn't a rally driven by the small and speculative stocks. It's a much different situation than earlier this year. And I think that helps us in terms of sentiment because you know we, we don't see sentiment getting stretched. We still see investors as properly anxious, properly defensive. And what that could mean if news turns even more negative is less of a crash and burn sell-off, or but more of an orderly move in the market. Um, I think fear helps us here. Fear is a healthy dynamic in this context. And I really think investors and Wall Street are underestimating this as we move to the second quarter. So to sum it up for you, Sam, uh, the US still has a lot of moving pieces to it. And the economic outlook isn't looking great, especially after we saw the banking issues in early March. But at the same time, you have to question how much of this is already priced in. Yeah, really interesting. And and for, for some of those US equity markets, they're now up 20% and more from those quarter four lows last year. It'd be really interesting in the chat. Do let us know uh, if you think that is the low or is it going to take a turn for the worst in the next part of the year? This brings us up to uh, crypto and tech uh, and Josh Gilbert here. We're leaving the best for, for last here. What a quarter one it had been for both of these asset classes. How did you see it? Reasons for it? What are you thinking? Well, I'm glad we're saying that, right? Because the last time we did this, I had the unfortunate task of talking about crypto when it had the uh, had, had the, the worst performing assets uh, year to date tag. So a bit of a turnaround uh, for the books, ultimately, um, now sat here as, as the sort of the best performing. Um, look, it, it's not easy to, to ultimately be a crypto investor. I think that's proved that over the last sort of uh, 18 months. But um, look, I think the main sort of driver that we've seen from crypto so far this year are sort of the points that both Ben and sort of Cali have, have sort of mentioned already, um, which is that the expectations of a faster fall in inflation and a sooner than expected uh, cut to, to rates in the US, right? We went from at the start of March, expecting there to be more rate hikes, um, I think two or three priced in at least with no rate cuts this year. You know, now markets are pricing in three rate cuts this year. So that's sort of seen that investors have, have taken on more risk. And then on the other side of that as well, we've spoken about those sort of banking issues. Well, ultimately, if investors are feeling, you know, um, uneasy about sort of centralized banking systems, well, we've seen that they've turned to decentralized 
um, systems or assets such as Bitcoin and Ethereum. And, and I think that was obvious when we saw the rally from both those assets straight after uh, this happened as well. And I think that ultimately, yes, crypto has had a strong run, but we are still down more than 50% from its highs. Um, the lower inflation and those sort of falling interest rate outlook, um, sort of as we've sort of mentioned already, we think that that's supportive. Um, I think that really sort of, you know, helps crypto going into the end of the year. We've also got plenty, you know, to look forward to as well from a from a crypto investor standpoint. Um, you know, important upgrades across the board with Shanghai on Ethereum. And then we've all, even got the sort of the Bitcoin halving coming in 2024, which investors are ultimately already positioning for. If we look at sort of crypto uh, and Bitcoin particularly, we do tend to see that they move in cycles um, and that 2024 um, halving is, is going to be really important as well. We've seen institutional adoption slow down, um, particularly over what we've seen with events over the last sort of six to 12 months, whether that's you know FTX, whether that's SVB. But I think they're still making headway. Um, you know, BlackRock m- more recently than anyone you know, have sort of come out again and, and have started to say they're going to continue to keep laying that groundwork. I think that's going to be really important. And then as Ben mentioned there as well, we can see from that sort of, you know, data and also from our retail investor survey um, that investors are still keen on crypto. They did buy the dip uh, on these assets, crypto assets in 2022. So they're showing that continued support. Um, and then, you know, moving on to tech, it's a very similar to what we've seen with crypto ultimately um it's the best performing sector so far year to date up more than sort of 20 percent, and that is down to that sort of changing macro environment um resilient earnings ben mentioned it uh, earlier that that hasn't really changed you know tech did sort of come through with some some strong numbers there valuations were more attractive um but we are starting to see that slower growth from what we saw in previous years from tech. But as I say, those valuations are, are more attractive. And, and I think that moves us on to the next part is what's gonna be really important here is is balance sheets and, and profit margins. What we've realized, and if we didn't realize it already with the sort of banking crisis is that cash is king. Um, and I think that that might've accelerated the, or sort of the banking crisis that we've seen may have just accelerated the, the likelihood of a recession. Um, but I think the big tech is set up really, really well for a scenario like that. Yes, we've got slowing revenues. Yes, cash flows are probably lower um, than they were at their peak. But big tech is extremely resilient. Um, we feel they've got a plenty of cash to sort of navigate whatever is ahead. Apple um, is sat on over $150 billion in cash. Google, again, over $100 billion in cash. Um, they've navigated this current period really well. Uh, with staff layoffs, which again is unfortunate to the consumer, uh, but the streets are, are applauding, and they're also benefiting from you know disruptive tech that is coming under pressure. So I think that um, free cash flows for for big tech is going to be an important part of of 2023, um, and and that will obviously you know be the be the focus of those growth outlooks, especially if we do start to see uh, a slowdown in, in earnings. Um, but although we're probably going to see that cash not used for a huge amount in terms of M&A. I think we could maybe focus towards things like dividends and and buybacks, as we've seen with such as Salesforce and and Meta uh, just recently. So big tech continues to to sort of be that haven uh, for investors. Yeah, thank you very much, Josh. And interesting there, just talking about Bitcoin, saying it's still 50% from that that high that it had uh, before, which of course means it needs to go 100% to get back to that level 
And I wonder whether investors actually like the sound of that, despite the journey it's got to get to. Uh, ben, this brings us on to uh, the next part of the webinar. And if people aren't asking what price Tesla's going to go to or what icon Elon Musk is going to use for Twitter or where Bitcoin is going to, they want to know about the 2023 eToro investment outlook. How are you seeing it? Yeah, so I guess just sort of pulling it all together, right? Um, back in December, when we gave our 2023 view, uh, the view was, you know, positive, but it was going to be a drawn out recovery. Uh, the inflation and growth slowdown were going to be, we're going to take some time. Uh, it was basically going to be a sort of transition year before hopefully a much better year in 2024. You know, now, three months on, I think that view has just been telescoped and accelerated. You know, a faster slowdown or faster inflation fall, sooner interest rate cuts. Uh, so what I thought was going to be a U-shaped recovery, I now think could be a V-shaped recovery. Um, and, and I think that's positive, right? Markets are forward looking. Um, I think they're going to look ahead to those rate cuts that sort of typically kick off, you know, the next bull market. Uh, we've got a bit of a sort of earnings and growth crevasse in front of us, but I do think it'll be fairly short and markets will look uh, to the other side of that. Um, clearly, risks and uncertainty are sort of much higher now than usual. So, really great to see that investors, you know, becoming more diversified. You know, I think that's the the right call. I think we're going to definitely see a pickup uh, in sort of volatility as we work through some of these issues during uh, during the quarter. But you know, our focus really is to you know focus on those assets that benefit from that lower inflation and lower interest rate sort of view. So, you know, we're looking at big tech. We're looking at healthcare. Um, which, you know, by the way, these are the sectors that the stock market is disproportionately weighted, you know, towards, you know, unlike the economy, stock markets, not economies. Um, but I also think it's supportive for things like bonds and and, and crypto, as, uh, as as Josh mentioned. And, you know, it's clearly less positive for those assets sort of most exposed to that sort of growth slowdown uh, that, that, that we're looking for. So really, you know, the real economy, um, small caps, which are, you know, the, by far the biggest employers. In, in all economies, you know, commodities uh, and cyclical sectors like banks. Yeah, thank you very much, Ben. And, and uh, for the audience listening uh, at home or on the go, feel free to like, share and subscribe if you enjoyed this so far. I'm not going to let them get away without a Q&A, though. There is uh, a few questions we need to, to go through before we get to the end of the webinar. And Kelly, you're up first. Uh, and it's quite an interesting time for uh, markets at the moment we just did our retail investor beat funnily enough a couple of weeks ago or a week ago um but how are you seeing it from a sort of retail investor point of view and how they're responding to this recent volatility that we have had in markets well i think the bottom line sam is they've been resilient they've been surprisingly resilient um at least in the us and i focus on the us segment of this global survey uh, but at least in the U.S., many of them are looking to invest the same amount of money over the next three months or even more money. And I think that's a reflection of just how strong the job market is over here in the U.S. Uh, people invest because they have money, and that's what it boils down to. So I do think that that's a reflection of a strong, possibly a stronger economic outlook than we're factoring in at the moment. Uh, we do see some diversification, though. They're not all in on risky bullish assets. Uh, they're diverting away from stocks and crypto. They're looking toward bonds. They're raising cash. They're looking at commodities and potentially other safe havens. So it's not all encouraging, but I think it's prudent. I think retail investors, at least from what we've seen, are you know 
managing their portfolios in expectation of lower returns. Uh, and that, again, going back to what I said earlier, could be a good sign for the market. They're getting to that defensive stature, and that could help you know, keep market moves, uh, could help keep market moves stay a little more orderly if we do see something happen. Thank you, Kelly. Uh, and Josh, the next question is for you. And one of the, the buzzwords from last quarter uh, or two quarters ago was, was China reopening. Now, are you positive on it, negative on it? How do you see it at the moment? Obviously, we've had some recent news from Alibaba as well. Does that affect how you would answer this question? Uh, I wouldn't say it affects it, but I would still say that you know, I'm positive on on the China reopening. I think, you know, looking at the you know the Chinese economy um, of the scale that it is, um, I think I feel that you can't not be positive on it. We we have sort of seen local stocks come off in the last sort of couple of months since that sort of reopening, since we had that sort of initial optimism. Um, I think that might be slightly dumb, uh, overdone. I think that we are still uh, seeing plenty of you know positivity coming from from this reopening. I think valuations are more attractive. We've still got plenty of policy support coming through. Um, we've got improving economic data. Um, we've then got a, an earnings season in April, which is going to be a, a key earnings season, I think, for for local stocks. It's going to be sort of the, the first set of reports that we've we've had since that actual reopening. So I think that's going to be really sort of important. And then you can also look at the commodity side of it. Um, plenty of optimism here in, in Australia from, you know, those sort of big, big mining stocks, uh, also energy stocks on, on the idea that we're going to see increased demand um, from China, but also, you know, just that restocking of commodities that obviously Australia is is so uh, sort of wealthy in. Um, and then obviously, yeah, as you say, the Alibaba side of it, I think that that sort of idea of splitting its its businesses um, into six, I think it took, you know, the market by surprise a little bit. But I think the idea here is to obviously try and unlock um, sort of more value from the business. And it's not uncommon. We, we have seen other companies do this in the past um, in terms of, you know, spin-offs. I think probably the most recent one at the top of um, investors' mind was, was Volkswagen with, with Porsche. So it can be a great way to sort of, you know, um, you know spin-off, IPO another company, unlock value. And I think if it's successful, um, you know, we, we could see more uh, Chinese companies sort of do the same thing. But bottom line, I think there's still plenty of, you know, optimism coming from this, this China reopening. Um, and the, the sort of the sell-off that we've seen from stocks in the last couple of months is, is probably slightly overdone. Yeah. And just on Barber, the, the market liked it last week. Really strong week. Uh, Callie, another question for you. Biggest US risk in quarter two. How are you seeing it? And is seasonality, is that one of them as well? You know, Sam, there are a lot of risks to consider here. And if we're talking just about Q2, I think bank issues are the biggest risk in my mind. Now, I'll qualify that with saying I think the longer term risk is persistently high inflation. But if we're thinking over the next three months, I think what's happening in the banking sector and the fallout and cracks that are spreading from that could be the biggest risk in, in investors' minds. And this is a growth risk, too. This is the fact that you know banks are tightening up their lending standards. They're crimping down on borrowing at the moment. And that flows through the economy because borrowing and banking activity is the heartbeat of the U.S. economy. Um, that combined with a few other black swans that I mentioned earlier, one being the debt ceiling, could really pose a big growth risk to the U.S. economy's momentum, the U.S. economy's strong momentum. You mentioned seasonality, though, which I think is really interesting at this point. 
Uh, we are in a seasonally strong period at the moment. April is the second strongest month for the S&P 500, looking back to data since 1950. And it's interesting, you know, we have the sell in May and go away. Everybody says it every year. But on the whole, that hasn't worked well these past several years. The S&P has actually been up between Memorial Day and Labor Day for six out of the past seven years. So I think seasonality takes a backseat to everything else. Um, it's more of a layer that you consider uh, while you're reading through the headlines and the fundamentals. But at the same time, I do think there's something there where you know low volume has led to a drift higher. I don't know if that happens this year, but I think it's something to consider. Yeah, well, fingers crossed for another good April. Uh, ben, you always know when there's a really important subject in markets when you've got people that have no involvement in finance in their everyday work messaging you and, and speaking about uh, banks in this case. Everyone I know is is talking about it or has been over the last few weeks, which then begs the question, you know, is it safe for investors to think about going back into that sector or is there worse to come? Yeah, so I do think the bank issues are sort of individual issues rather than systemic issues. Uh, but as I said, I, I do think they have real macro, you know, consequences. Um, for investors, you know, this is the biggest stock market sector in Europe. It's the third biggest in the US, so so it does matter. Um, but I do think everything has changed for them and not positively, right? So there's no banking crisis, but the economic growth outlook will be slower. So that means less loan growth for them. Uh, I think the interest rate outlook will be lower. So that means you know, narrower profit margins for them. And these very low bank valuations, you know, sub 10 times, you know, PE for the sector doesn't look quite so attractive now, right? The, the sort of recent sector scares just reminded us all why banks trade cheap and, and the risks attached to that. So I have to say, I'm a lot more cautious on the sector than I was uh, a couple of months ago. And that's even with the view that, you know, the scare that we've had is over a couple of banks and not the system. Yeah, well, it'll be really interesting, not just on that subject, uh, but also everything else in, in three months' time to review it. Um, just a, a quick one uh, for those watching, you can head over to etoro.com forward slash digest and invest for all of the recent podcasts and webinars. And of course, on YouTube, if you are watching, please do remember to like, share and subscribe and, and leave a comment, which we can get back to as well. Ben, Callie, Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And I guess I'll see you all in three months time. Thank you, Sam. See you all soon. Yeah, see ya. Thanks very much. Take care, everyone. Trade safe. You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com.